0: reading from the Gospel according to Luke. When some people were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on top of another. All will be thrown down. (laughs) They asked him, Teacher, when will this be, and what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. But don't go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first. But the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famines and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, you will be arrested, and you will be persecuted. You will be handed over to the synagogues and prisons and you'll be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify, so make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends. And yes, they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. Yeah, so does anybody else want to preach today? Anyone? Yeah, okay, I see how it is. I know that in the opening college prayer this morning, I invited you to hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the scriptures, but criminy, were you listening <laughs> to the scriptures today? A reading from Malachi. See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. <laughs> I am not a psychologist, but I'm starting to suspect that Malachi might have a slight anger management issue. <laughs> and what was up with Paul's letter today? Like, did I miss something? Or did he basically just say, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and work harder, you slackers. <laughs> the only thing that's missing from this reading is Paul shaking his fists in fury at some neighborhood kids while yelling at them to get off his lawn, right? <laughs> in in our, our gospel reading <laughs> there's some people like they're they're beholding the splendor of the temple in Jerusalem and they cry out ooh what a pretty pretty building <laughs> but then Jesus barges in yeah it is beautiful isn't it too bad it's all going to be obliterated <laughs> Not one stone will be left on top of another. And the people, they clearly don't know how to respond to such a bleak statement. So they just end up asking, but teacher, when is this going to happen? And Jesus says, oh, not to worry. You've got some time. The temple won't be destroyed until after insurrections and wars and earthquakes and famines and plagues and terrible storms have ravaged the earth. (laughs) but before all of that even all of you will be persecuted and arrested family and friends will betray you and lots of you will be executed by the government <laughs> the gospel of the lord right <laughs> oh my goodness this whole scene at the temple it reminds me a lot of those old uh saturday night live skits the ones about debbie downer do you remember those no matter how joyous the occasion, Debbie always found the negative side of everything. In one skit that I can remember, Debbie's at a, a wedding reception. And everybody else around the table is excited. They're gushing on and on about how amazing the ceremony was and about how happy the newlyweds look, right? But Debbie just sighs and says, well, hopefully it lasts the only thing higher than gas prices in this country are divorce rates. Wah, wah. <laughs> oh, how did her theme song go again? You're enjoying your day. Everything's going your way. Then along comes Debbie Downer. Always there to tell you about a new disease, a car accident, or killer bees. You'll beg her to spare you, Debbie, please. But you can't stop Debbie Downer. Yeah, I think our gospel reading needs a theme song today, too, don't you? You're enjoying your day. Everything at the temple is going your way. Then along comes Jesus, the Debbie Downer. Always there to tell you about a future disease, horrible famines, or a martyrdom in the streets. You'll beg him to spare you, Jesus, please. But you can't stop Jesus, the Debbie Downer. (laughs) So what exactly... Is Jesus up to here in this whole scene, besides just bumming literally everybody out, right? What's he doing? Now, normally at this point in the sermon, the preacher will say something like this: Well, all joking aside, I should probably say something of substance to you now. But oftentimes, my friends, I find that the joke that's the greatest source of substance. Sometimes the joke in and of itself is the lesson. As a wise person once said, sometimes more is taught through jest than the most serious teaching. So if you understood what I was doing through my joking, poking fun at these different readings, poking fun at the word of the Lord, poking fun at something that we have rightfully elevated to a place of holiness in this holy context then it's very likely that you also get Jesus' very dark humor (laughs) at the temple as well. He is playing the part of the jester, playing the part of the joker. He's poking fun at all of our sacred cows. So one of my favorite stories in the Eastern Orthodox tradition is about a monk who was known as one of the holy fools for Christ. After having lived for like 20 something years in a monastery, one day he felt called to leave the monastery and to go and mock the world for Jesus, right? Go and mock the world for Christ is literally how he put it. And this guy ended up doing lots of things that just seemed plain crazy, just wacky. Like he would strip off his monk's robes and he would stroll naked down the streets. (laughs) <laughs> he would eat giant turkey legs in public, like the times you can get from like the fair, right, or the carnival. He would eat these giant turkey legs in public during Holy Week when everybody else in town had been fasting from meat for quite some time at that point, right? And he's just strolling down the street with giant turkey legs in his monk's robes. Um, but one of the first things he did when he left the monastery was he went to church. And right in the middle of the sermon, he got up, he kicked the priest out of the pulpit, and he started to pelt the parishioners with walnuts, (laughs) which of course is a very offensive, bizarre, sacrilegious, and disrespectful thing to do, right? Especially for a monk, especially in church. But the thing that this monk kept to himself was that all of these acts of foolishness They were intentionally designed to articulate a point, a point that no lecture or teaching or sermon could ever fully convey. In throwing walnuts at the parishioners during the sermon, the Holy Fool was trying to show that there was no real difference between what he was doing and what the priest was trying to do, or was doing, in fact, in the sermon. So you tell me, which is more dangerous being pelted by some walnuts or being pelted by a minister's harsh words. But here's the thing. The people in this church were so outraged by this monk's actions that they got up and beat him so badly that he nearly died. And they threw his mangled body out of the front doors of the church, out onto the streets, and they all went back inside And received the body and blood of Christ, the Eucharist. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Alleluia. Now, the whole spectacle begs the question who was more offensive, sacrilegious, and disrespectful here? A monk throwing some walnuts at some church people, or those church people beating that man nearly to death in rage because of his actions in church? Had the monk not played the part of the jester, the joker, the holy fool, the true content of those people's hearts and their utter hypocrisy never would have been unmasked. So sometimes, indeed, more is taught through jest than through the most serious of teachings. So back to our gospel. What is Jesus doing at the temple exactly? Well, I suspect that he's throwing some walnuts, not just at the people in this story, but also at all of us who hear the story. In playing the part of the Debbie Downer, he is playing the part of the Holy Fool. To put it in one theologian's words, he is tearing apart the veils of conventional morality, the established attitudes, and the deceptive value judgments that we all let ourselves fall prey to culturally. He's poking holes through everything that we human beings attempt to find our ultimate identity in. For so often, we attempt to find our ultimate identity in our patriotism, in our ethnicity, in our political ideologies, in our ecological views, in our intellectual prowess, in our health, in our family, in our friendships, and even in our sacred buildings, right? But our identity cannot be ultimately found in any one of these things or any of those things. And Jesus is telling us here that if we continue down this path that we're on, if we don't wake up from our collective delusion, it will only end in calamity. Continue down this path as a nation and your church buildings will eventually be bulldozed to the ground. Continue down this path in your political ideology and it will only end in war and ecological disaster and pandemic. Continue down this path as a culture and it will only end in broken homes and broken hearts. Continue down this path as a people and it will only end with execution in the streets. Continue down this path And the end result will be chaos and hate. If I'm understanding Jesus correctly here, then it means that what he is saying, what the jest, the joke all boils down to is that all of our individual and all of our collective problems are rooted in our wrong perceptions about religion our problems are rooted in a profound lack of self-awareness of the religious impulse that lies within all of us. You know, but we modern types, we don't like this word, do we? Religion. I don't know why. The word literally means relinking. Uh, But we don't like it. The problem for us today, of course, uh, is that you can never fully kick religion out no matter how much you might want to. Yes, sure, you can stop going to church, but you cannot uproot the religious impulse that is hardwired in your soul. Even several atheist philosophers concede this point. When you end up leaving religion behind or trying to at the very least, you'll only end up elevating some other relationship in your life to a religious status. You will replace religious practices around God with religious practices around someone or something else. And you will offer your entire existence to that relationship, possibly even martyr yourself for it. And you will view every other relationship in your life through the lens of that one relationship. This is why people who are abused often end up projecting their trauma onto the entire world. And they find it nearly impossible to see that there's anything more to life than the suffering that they've had to endure because that abusive relationship has become the thing that has defined them the most. And the opposite is also true. When people fall head over heels in love, they often go from being like hard-hearted curmudgeons, right, (laughs) to being utterly and naively blind to anything but their shared puppy love, right, for each other. Love can completely change a person's self-understanding of themselves, right? Overnight, for better and for worse. And we have all seen that happen around us and sometimes in our own lives. We've seen it for the better and for the worse. These folks, they go from a panoramic view of the world, of life, to a zoomed-in, narrow portrait view. And if I find my identity mainly in how much money I make, or my career status, or my addiction, I will end up sacrificing every other relationship on the altar of these false gods because I will see every other relationship as a threat to my attachment to these things, right? Hmm. But as St. Augustine once said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. This, this is the precise point that Jesus is making today. This is the point of the jest, of the joke. Like, if we try to find our rest, our identity in politics, in Mother Earth, in our activism, in our patriotism, even in our family life, yes, even in our sacred spaces, and not in the God who inhabits those sacred spaces, the only result will be profound restlessness. Restlessness. Now, to be absolutely clear, there's nothing wrong with any of these things in and of themselves. Like, family's good. Sacred spaces are good. You know, being a part of a nation, that's a good thing. Uh, They just simply can't bear the weight of the divine. They cannot bear the weight of our worship. Like, if I try to get out of my spouse and my children and my friends the peace and the life that only God can give... I will only end up destroying these relationships and myself in the process. No matter how pretty it all may look to me today, tomorrow, not one stone of this life that I have built for myself will be left standing on top of another. But what did Jesus say once? He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness And all, all these things, these relationships, shall be added unto you as well. Why choose portrait view or panoramic view when you can look at your life through both lenses? You can have both. When we find our identity in God, we soon discover that we don't have to choose between God and our family, for example. When we keep God at the center, we become (laughs) relinked to everyone and everything that God is linked to, which, of course, is everyone and everything. And instead of loving just some people... We come to a place where we have learned how to love all people just as God does. For we will have become the very love that God is if that is the love that we allow to define us the most.